Real life, good to see you back from Easter. And I uh, just want to recap with you guys real quick. Um, last Sunday, we had our largest attendance service in the history of our church last Easter. Yeah. That was pretty incredible. And um, 500 people in person and another 100 people online, um, 600 people, pretty amazing. And um, for all of you guys uh, that just loved and contributed and making that happen, uh, thank you. I'm going to talk more about it here in my sermon here in a second. Um, but if you're here and you're like, okay, yeah, 600 people, numbers, cool. Um, here's what we've got to remember, okay? Uh, every single number has a name. And every single name has a story. And every single story matters, amen? amen. And so um, just thank you for being on mission with us. Um, as we continue to love this community well and make disciples who make disciples. Uh, today we start a new sermon series called Fruit of the Spirit. And I'm really excited about this uh, sermon series. And um, one of the things you need to know about uh, fruit is that I'm a fruit guy, not a vegetable guy. Uh, just being honest. Fruit, fruit, yeah. Vegetables, raise your hand. You guys are awesome. Eh, right? Um, and not only do I love fruit, but I'm, I'm kind of a snob when it comes to my fruit, just to be honest. Um, like, we get fruit quite regularly because we eat a lot of it in our house. Um, but it has to be at a certain stage in the ripeness in order for me to like it. So blueberries, for example. I like blueberries. I've, I've figured this out over many, many trials. I've told my wife, and when you go buy the blueberries, like, if they've got a little hue of a purple in them, then they're good to go because they're going to be a little bit tart and sweet. I got to have my blueberries tart and sweet. If they're really dark blue, they're going to be too sweet. And I just, I'm going to pass on the blueberries. They're really sweet. Is anybody with me on the tartness of blueberries? Only a couple of you. You're like, no, no, blueberries are supposed to be sweet. Um, and so my strawberries, my strawberries have got to be uh, ripe and tart and sweet. I don't like really, really sweet strawberries. Um, and same with my, you know, like my bananas. If the peel has got a little bit, just a little bit of green in them, then they're just right. If they got some brown in it, hard pass, hard no. And if that's how you like your bananas, then I'll just pray for you, okay? Because that's just nasty. <laughs> it's just nasty. And, and so I'm a fruit snub. This is what I know. There's nothing worse than on the surface the fruit looks just right, but then you bite into it and it's not very good and it's rancid. It's past due, right? Like an apple has to be crisp and hard. As soon as it goes soft, no good, right? Strawberries. Strawberries are known for like on the top part, they look good. And then you bite and on the backside, it's gotten all soft and nasty. Do you know what I'm talking about? You got to rotate those strawberries in the fridge in order for them to not get nasty, right? And so the reality of it is, is like, as I'm talking about fruit, you're like, dude, is this guy going to talk about the sermon? Um, fruit, when it comes to us as Christians, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that we as Christians are called to produce fruit, and a certain type of fruit. And here's the thing, oftentimes, because we get things confused as Christians, sometimes things get focused on, if we don't have the right definitions of what it is that Jesus is wanting in our lives, oftentimes it looks really good on the surface as walking as a disciple of Jesus. But then as we interact with people, it's kind of like taking a bite out of fruit and going, ooh, that doesn't taste very good. And that's how our walks with Jesus are. 
in the sense of I'm a Christian looks good on the service but as we walk in a relationship it doesn't really look good or taste good when it comes to interacting with people relationally definitions are important defining what maturity looks like as a walk as a disciple of Jesus is really important and getting those things lined up with Jesus is really important and so this sermon series is built on working through Galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit and asking ourselves this question am I looking more like Jesus and am I producing fruit in my life that Jesus goes yes that's what makes you a disciple of Jesus these are the markers of a disciple of Jesus. Now today, just to be honest with you, like it's kind of an intro, an intro, and then a sermon. So we got a lot to cover. You guys ready to go this morning? Yeah. All right, so let's get after it. So we got to remember that if we're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, it comes out of the death, burial, resurrection, which we just celebrated last week. The fruit of the Spirit comes out of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He says that he's going to send his spirit upon his disciples after he dies and resurrects and conquers death. He talks about it in John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands, he says. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help and be with you forever. What's that next word? The what? The spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you and i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you verse 23 anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them who's we the fruit of this or the holy spirit jesus and the holy spirit anyone who does not does not love me will not obey my teaching these words you hear are not my own they belong to the father who sent me all this I've spoken while still with you, but the, what's that next word? But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. If we're going to understand the fruit of the Spirit, we have to understand this. That Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, but we must recognize the Holy Spirit lives in contrast to the Spirit of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is only manifested through the Holy Spirit residing in our lives. And not only is the Holy Spirit, we claim to be a follower of Jesus, and if we obey His commands, but we also have another Spirit, the Spirit of flesh that wars itself against the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you this morning, but I just want to reference it. Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh, Paul says, their minds uh, are set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Let's fast forward to verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Are children of God. So Paul is talking about flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. And Paul says that our flesh is gone and has walked away from the things of God. The flesh of the spirit walk, uh, 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 spirit of the flesh walks away from the things of God. It is not of God. 
It wars against God. It means to live apart from him, to be worldly. It leads to egocentrism, to self-centeredness. It's good to use I statements in our vocabulary, to own our answers. But when it becomes I, I, me, me, want, 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 this is what we're talking about in regards to the spirit of the flesh. That it's a self-centeredness. It's a self-centered state from which we see everything. The spirit that lives within God is the opposite. It's loving. It's Jesus-centered. It's others-focused. It's supernatural. It's eternal. These two war with each other. Anybody experience this in their walk with Jesus? You know what Jesus wants you to do. Walk in the spirit, and the flesh says, but there's a list, right? So how do we do this? Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about it. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit. Everybody say, walk. Walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. This is really important for us to understand. That as disciples of Jesus, we are actually called to walk in the spirit. That's at war with the flesh. And oftentimes, we as believers can claim to be Christians, claim to walk with Jesus, but not be of God. You with me on that? It doesn't matter what you say with your mouth. You can claim, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm following after Jesus. But the question is, is what is driving your life? Is it the Spirit? Or is it something else? Is it the flesh? You can believe in God and not be of God. You can believe in God and not walk in the Spirit. And what Paul is saying is, you need to walk in the Spirit. That's what you're called to. Romans, when you walk in the Spirit, you are a child of God, children of God. The question that we've got to ask ourselves then is, how do you actually walk in the Spirit? And how do you walk in the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit means partnership. Everybody say partnership. We say this word a lot here in real life. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, it's a, it's, a, it's a choice to walk with Jesus, to partner with Him. And when I think of partnership and walking in the Spirit and this warring that goes on oftentimes, I'm reminded of field day. Anybody remember field day growing up? Field day was like the best day ever growing up. They don't do it anymore because probably all the kids like break their bones nowadays when it comes to, oh, we can't do that. We're liable, you know, so let's not do that. But anyway, there was this game that I played growing up at school, and I got a picture of my childhood to show you this morning. This game during field days. Anybody remember this game? Okay, it's not my childhood. Some of you like groaned when you saw that picture. Do you have bad memories about this game? Does anybody remember? What game is that? Does anybody remember? Three-legged race, Three race right? Yeah, you groaned because you're like, I hated that game. It was horrible, right? The three-legged race. For those of you that are like 30 and younger, you're like, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> this was an amazing game. And what the game was, was you had to have a partner. And you see that white rope around the leg and the ankle. Yeah, the ankle's always, you know, the part where it all fall apart, right? But your point was to run with your partner in unison. Actually, walk first and then run. That was the actual point of this game. And some of you, after about an hour, would master it and win the race. Others of you, it was just 
you have a blown out knee because of this, this game. Like you had to have ACL surgery because of it, right? Um, but when I think about like, this is what it means that you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are partnered together and walking together in unison into every aspect of your life. That every day you go, I'm walking in the Spirit today. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm walking in unison with the Spirit. And sometimes it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle like when you're not synced up with your partner. Like, man, like I know, Paul talks about it in Romans. I know what I should do and what I want to do, but I don't do it, right? It's a struggle. And here's the thing that we have to evaluate. I'm just gonna say this really quickly. We have to be willing to evaluate, ask ourselves this question. What habits are you putting in as a disciple of Jesus to walk with the Spirit? What habits are you putting in? Because if you think that coming here on Sunday morning and hearing amazing worship from our team and an okay sermon from a pastor, that it's actually going to help you walk in the Spirit all week long, that's it. You're highly mistaken. If you're going to walk with the Spirit, it requires you every single day to wake up and ask yourself this question. Am I going to walk in with the Spirit today and in every single environment I move into from that moment on? Am I, am I spending time with Jesus every day? Reading, praying, journaling, worshiping throughout the day? knowing that Jesus goes with me everywhere I go. And do you see that white rope around the leg and around the ankle? That is a representation of your habits. The habits that you've put in your life. You cannot experience the fruit of the Spirit by chasing the fruit. Are you with me, church? I just need, I just need love. I'm, I'm really focused on love. Really fo if you do that, you will get frustrated really quickly. You have to chase Jesus First, And as you chase Jesus, the fruit eventually comes. Amen? This is how it works. So what habits are you putting in place in walking with Jesus? How do you know you're walking with Jesus? How do you know you're walking with the Holy Spirit? Well, the fruit eventually comes. And what is that fruit? What is the fruit that defines us as disciples of Jesus? As Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Just want to throw this out there. Part of the habits of a disciple of Jesus is time in his word and that the word becomes stored in your heart what would it look like for this sermon series to say I'm going to memorize Galatians chapter 5 so that I could experience in my head and my heart love joy peace patience I'm going to put God's word into my heart I'm going to chase Jesus and store it in my heart just something to think about against such things Paul says there is no law those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the Spirit. Evidence that you are walking with the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Evidence that you are a Jesus follower is the fruit of the Spirit. And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to spend time 
going over every single week the fruit of the Spirit. And this week, it's love. Focusing on love. The first fruit is love. And this is already a rat's nest because definitions are important, right? What the world says love is often is contrary to what the Word of God says. And oftentimes Christians say, well, I'm, I'm going to love, but then they're not really actually loving. And so this becomes a big rat's nest really quick. And I just want to give you the definition of Galatians chapter 5, the word love, because that's really important. And the Bible's written with a very complex language. Greek, one of the most complex languages that have ever been written. And for us, English is actually pretty simple, even though for those of you who are like, oh, I don't like English, English is hard. Uh, it's really simple, and, but sometimes too simple, which actually makes more problems. For example, I love pizza, I'll say in one statement, and the next sentence I'll say, I love you, and I'll look at my wife. Are those the two same types of love? No. Right? Some of you might be like, well, I don't know, I really love pizza. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> Jesus, my wife, pizza, okay, right? What is the love found in Galatians? It's agape. Agape love isn't born out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. Brotherly love, sisterly love, affection, sacrificial, unconcerned with self type of love. I had someone come in services. I thought this was a great definition. They said, this, this definition helped me frame what this means. It's unconditional commitment to someone else's well-being. That's really good. Unconditional commitment to someone else's well-being. Or what I got from my Bible college professor, Kenny Beckman, he said, love is an overwhelming concern for another without any regard as to what you get in return. So this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Unconditional commitment to someone else's well-being. Overwhelming concern for someone else without any regard as to what you get in return. The fruit of the Spirit, love. First one. Jesus believes in this type of love. He said this when he was asked from a really well-known Bible scholar, an attorney, a Pharisee, people that knew the word of God, really well asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, most important command is to love the Lord your God, same love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then he goes, oh, and by the way, this one's tied right to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Galatians, Paul goes on to say, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment love your neighbor as yourself you see the mark that you're walking with the spirit and that you're a mature believer is that you actually love people well that you're actually able to be in relationship with other people well that your knowledge of the word of god the scriptures should lead to a greater and deeper understanding of actually how to love people well Paul kind of talks about this in depth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want to read that again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Every time I read that passage, 
I have a flashback to when my kids were toddlers. They go into the kitchen, they open up the drawers, and they pull out, anybody know? Pots and pans. And it's so cute for like two minutes. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, it's so good and cute. Put those away. And Paul says, if you don't have love, you're like an annoying cymbal player. Sorry, drummers. Right? <laughs> if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Have you ever met someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus who knows a lot about Scripture and they're just mean? I don't care how much you know. Paul says, I don't care how much you know. If you don't love well, you've completely missed it. And all that is really is an immature person who knows a lot. Maturity is defined as someone who knows the word of God and applies the word of God and actually loves well. Loves well, meaning even if someone is not loving, I'm still loving back. That's what maturity is. Maturity is defined by you being in real relationship with people and able to do that. Now, I know there's introverts in the room and you're already overwhelmed. Because <laughs> you're like, I can have like three people that I'm best friends with and that's it. Like, it's all I got. And there's nothing wrong with that. This isn't saying that you got to be best friends with everybody like the extroverts. What's it saying is that as an introvert, you need to recharge by being alone. And then even when you're tired and the flesh wants to take over, you choose at an act of the will to love when you have nothing in the tank. And for the extroverts, what it means is maybe you take some cues from the introverts and you love deeply, even when you're like, I don't wanna go deep with people. Well, maybe you should go deep with people. Maybe you should not feed self-centeredness and you should think, what does this person need right now? How can I be there for them? That's what real love is. That's what real relationship actually looks like. An immature person who knows a lot about the Bible, that person does not move the kingdom of God forward. A loving person who's learning to grow in the scriptures and apply the scriptures, that is a person that moves the kingdom of God forward. Paul goes on to say, verse three, if I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Then he goes on to talk about what is love. He says, love is patient. Let's just sit on this a little bit. We'll talk more about patience here in a couple of weeks, but I just want to sit on it. Love is patient. Question to ask yourself, do you have a short fuse or a long fuse? If you're like, I don't know, go ask your family. <laughs> do you only want to get what you want in situations or do you think about others first? You walk with the Spirit, right? So at home, you walk with the Spirit. When you go into your workplace, you walk with the Spirit. When you hang out with your buddies, you walk with the Spirit. 
those of you guys that have employees that answer to you when you start your meetings at the start of the week? Is it just about the agenda? Or is it about the people that are sitting in the room that you are called to lead and serve? Are you patient? Or is it just about the job? What environment do you create? Love does not envy. Do you rejoice when people succeed and do better than you do? Or do you get angry? Do you get jealous? Love does not boast. Are you always worried about your image? Are you worried about what people think? What is the narrative that they're talking about? Love bears all things. Love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Verse seven, love bears all things. I don't know if you know this, all of us are unbearable. All of us. We're all unbearable. But love bears all things. When we start looking at this and really starting to just sit, just sit in it, Okay, through the Spirit's love. Well, what is love? This is what love is. You start like sitting in it. It's almost like this is really hard. Talk about love a lot about real life ministries. You start sitting in it. You go, oh, this is really hard. It's really hard. And I know it's hard because I'm married. And I remind my wife the things that that really annoys me. And she reminds me. These are things that really annoy me. Like when I'm sitting on the couch and I'm chewing and it's really loud to her. She's like, can you go somewhere else? I'm like, I'm just chewing and living. Like, <laughs> But in her defense... Like, there's things about her that drive me crazy. Like, when I just want her to make a decision, but she doesn't. And then I'm like, well, we could go do this. She's like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, we could do this. Well, I don't want to do that. And then it's like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. And they're like, oh, we're in the jungle book now. Let's not do that again. Loving is hard. And oftentimes when it comes to churches and when it comes to Christians, this is what happens. You go to church. You go to small group. You serve. You tithe. You give above and beyond when asked. All the while, you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do, but you don't actually do it with the Spirit. And honestly, you guys, this is where things fall off the bus in church. This is where the wheels fall off. Because we're actually not doing it the way Jesus asked us to do it. And there has to be a commitment from everybody, from leadership, from leaders, people that serve, people that come here, where we go, you know what? We're gonna go do whatever God's called us to do, whatever the A to B spot is. But here's the thing. 
We'll go to A to B because God wants to move, but he's more concerned about how we move from A to B than just getting to A to B. All you drivers out there, he cares about what happens in between us relationally. He cares more about that. That's what the Old Testament was about. You give me worship, and I don't even like it, God says. I hate it. Because you don't even love your neighbor. You don't even love the outsiders. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. And it's actually the defining marker as a follower of Jesus. Jesus put it this way, John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love one another. By this Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. The world will know you're my disciples by the things that you teach. He didn't say that. Are what we teach important? 100%. He said the world will know that you're mine by how you one another. And so it doesn't matter whether we have 600 people at Easter or 60 people or 6,000, the question we gotta ask ourselves is, are we doing a good job of loving each other? Which requires every single one of us to ask this question, am I being a disciple who follows Jesus and makes disciples and does that lovingly? And if you're willing to ask that question and if you're willing to raise your hand to that, I'm gonna tell you right now, God's love and his relational environment of his church, it has no bounds. Because I've been a part of churches that are big and small. And guess what? I've been a part of churches that are really big and don't love well. Churches that are really small and don't love well. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the heart of the people. You. Following Jesus. It's your loving example that changes the world, not your opinion. It's your loving example that changes the world not your opinion. And here's the thing. We get to change the trajectory of people's lives by being a people who walk by the Spirit and love well. That's what love does. It changes people's lives. People that were walking one way radically change and walk a different way because they experience the love of God through you. So with that being said, I want to tell you As your lead pastor, I am so stinking proud of you. And you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for Jesus. Why am I proud of you? Oh, record attendance. Amazing. Here's what I was most excited about on Easter. As a pastor, you get a little bit nervous about Easter. I don't care who you are. You're a little bit nervous. But there was a moment for me when all the nerves went away. And it was last week, we went through all the rehearsal here on Sunday morning, ready to go, still a little bit nervous, go out to the lobby for prayer huddle, because we get all of our servants together when we do prayer huddle before service starts, about a half hour before. And as I walk out there, Joe's gathering people, doing a great job like he always does, and we get in a big circle, and I look through the people as we're about ready to start, and I look out in the parking lot. You know how many cars are in the parking lot? Zero. You're going... Why would that excite you? For those of you that are new, we did three services with three Easter egg hunts that overlapped each other because we just like to be crazy and do crazy things on Easter. (laughs) And then the county decided to tear up our road, which took away all of our overflow parking. 
And we began to realize we have a parking issue if we don't do something. And so we asked you, all of you who served in the called real life home to go and park in overflow parking that was secure with these businesses over here. And when I went out there and I saw that none of you parked in that parking lot, I was like, we're good to go. Because your heart was a heart of like, I'll just park down the road, no big deal. What is that? An overwhelming concern for your neighbor who you've never met before that's coming here on Easter. Concern for them without any regard as to what you get into return. It's love. And in that moment, I was like, all right, Lord, we've prepared the way. I want you to show up, Lord. We're here. We're ready for you to show up. And in that moment, I'm like, I don't even care how the rest of the day goes because you loved so stinking well. In addition to that, Second hour in three services, second hour is always the most packed, most jam-packed. We said, hey, would you want to move to first or third hour to make room? Guess what our two largest attended services were? First, third hour. We put out a call and said, hey, we need help serving. Over 100 of you stepped up and served. I get a front row seat as to what God is doing in your life and in this church's life. And today, we got to baptize Peter, first hour, who's been serving in the AVL team. And Jim, one of our elders, baptizes him. And his dad, who was out of town, flew up to be a part of it and sat in the front row, watched his son get baptized, came up to me afterwards and said, thank you so much for what you're doing for my son. And then I got to be a part of that this morning. What I heard him say is, the trajectory of my life was changed today. Church, keep doing what you're doing and keep, keep expecting to see God do a mighty work in you and in this community. And don't be surprised when someone comes up to you and says, you changed my life. You changed my life because you love me well. As we wrap up today, I got a couple things I want you to think about as we get ready for communion. The first one is this evidence that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is with you is the fruit of the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit is indicative of the habits you incorporate in your life. What habits do you need to add in your life so you walk with the Spirit? The mark that you are walking with the Spirit and a mature believer is that you actually love people well. Even people that don't love you well, you still choose to love them well. And that doesn't mean it's really quick, I won't I said it in summary, I'm not gonna have a 30-minute conclusion. That doesn't mean that people walk all over you either. It means you set boundaries with people, healthy boundaries, but you do it lovingly. You're not mean, you're not filled with the flesh. You love, even in difficult situations, difficult circumstances, difficult talks, you still love. Loving people means you're relational. Even when you don't have it in you, you're relational. And then you go get rest, walk with Jesus, solitude, prayer, aloneness, abiding with Jesus, and then go love some more. Love in your example is what actually changes the trajectory of a person's life, not your opinion. This is what I do know, when you love well, people will actually ask your opinion. 
that's when you actually know you've loved well. Because they come up to you and they go, hey, I just am struggling with something. Can you give me your opinion about this? Like I'm trying to walk out what Jesus wants for me or I'm trying to figure out my marriage or I got my kids, I got this pain point. I've got this sin in my life. And when they come to you and ask you that, you, that is an indication for you to know, man, I've loved well. I've loved well. And so as we get ready to go to the communion, I just want you to think about two things. The first one is this. What does it look like for you to walk with Jesus closer? What is he convicting you of? What is he challenging you with? What is he encouraging you with maybe? That he wants you to have a conversation with him about when it comes to love, when it comes to walking in the spirit, when it comes to abiding in a relationship with him. What's he asking you of? Maybe for some of you this morning, you need to confess, repent, you need to get baptized, you need to become a follower of Jesus. Because you've begun to realize, I can't do this apart from him. And he's loved me relentlessly. And maybe it's time for you to surrender. This is the opportunity for you to surrender. And the second thing I want you to think about as we get ready to go to communion is what about that person that Jesus is calling on you to love? I just want to remind you, you don't chase the fruit, you chase Jesus. And if you chase Jesus, the fruit will come. Because there's going to come a moment where the flesh is inside of you. And you're going to say, Jesus, I need your help right now. And Jesus is going to show up. So who's that person that you're called to love? Who's that person you're called to reconcile with? And as we get ready to go to communion, servers are coming forward. And if you didn't grab communion and you want to take communion, you weren't planning on taking communion, but now you want to take communion, just raise your hand. And let me be sure to give you a cup and a piece of bread. And I just want to invite you to bow your head and pray about those two things. What is Jesus challenging you with? who you need to love as we get ready for communion.